What a testimony we just sang. I pray that was a, a song of your heart that declaring, Lord, I need you. I desperately need you. As I considered our discussion today, I'm reminded of a stampede. <laughs> I love the sound of children. Amen. Amen. I, um, I went to college when I was younger, soon after high school with very little direction. Then I went to school again after the military and had a little better direction. And I found myself uh, retaining books. So I was going through business school and I thought, you know, that book would probably be handy in the future. So I would keep it. Other people would be selling their books. I kept mine. And uh, it's been 30 years and I've not picked it up yet. Um, I, I had good intentions. It was good knowledge. And I thought that I would use it again. What we're talking about here and have been talking about is not for the sake of knowledge. Becoming a greater church is not just getting smarter about God's word. In fact, unless we're exercising what we learn, we're kind of missing the point of what we're doing here. Let me remind you of some of the things that we've learned together. First of all, there were three non-negotiables about being a great church. The first of which is we must each share the great confession, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are to live out the great commandment, to love God fully and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The third one is that we are to obey the great commission by making disciples of all nations. We also learned that to be a great church, we need to know Jesus and we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. Last week, we learned for a church to be great that we must have fellowship with the Father before we can have genuine fellowship with each other. And really, that's a message of salvation and intimate relationship with God. And that's something that we must seek. So becoming a great church is not an exercise in gaining more knowledge about the church, but it is exercising what we have learned. And so what I'm about to ask is also directed at me. But what have you done with the revelation of God concerning his church? What steps have you taken to love God more fully? To share the gospel, to make disciples? What have you done? What steps have you made to worship him in spirit and in truth, what steps have you made to have a deep fellowship with God and with his church? And just frankly speaking here, if you and I are not making adjustments to God's word as he reveals his truth to us, 
we're not going to be greater. In fact, we'll always be what we've always been. We won't grow closer to him unless we take action on the very things that he reveals to us. Today, we learn that a church who prays together will become great together. And I hope you have heard about the 40 hours of prayer coming up this week. It begins Thursday at 6 o'clock and it goes through Saturday morning at 10 a.m. We have made announcements and videos. We have it in print, but still some don't understand fully. And, and I would take the blame for that. I did not communicate well the intent or, or how we go about it or what's to be expected. So I want to just take a minute and talk about the 40 hours of prayer that are coming up. The first question is, why 40? Why not 5? Or why not 100? 40 appears in God's Word 146 times. It's significant, and it usually denotes a time of testing or trial or a probation. The, the request of the 40 hours of prayer, I, I am not asking anyone to commit to 40 hours of prayer. I'm inviting you to join me in an hour of 40 hours of prayer. You're only making a one-hour commitment. So let's be clear about that. Prayer is a privilege. If you think about it, it's not just uttering a sentence or two and tacking on in the name of Jesus, amen. If you understand what's really happening in prayer, you are entering the throne room of heaven with God as an audience through the blood of Jesus Christ. That in itself should be enough to humble us, to direct our words and our thoughts and our motives in prayer. Through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we get to spend time in the presence of God. The sacrifice to pray is not what it costs you. Because if you look at the sign-up sheet, you'll say, wow, the, one, the hours that are open are like in the middle of the night. I just signed up for one in the middle of the night. And we're thinking the cost to me personally, I'm going to be tired. I have to get up in the middle of the night. I don't know how I'll be the next day. I'll be grouchy. There's not enough coffee, whatever it takes. But I just want you to understand the sacrifice to not pray or the sacrifice to pray is not the sacrifice or the cost that you have personally. The sacrifice is not participating and missing what God is doing. That's the greatest sacrifice. And so we have to check our hearts. Do I want what I want or do I want what God wants? And we're not going to hear from God if we're avoiding time with him. So I want to encourage you to be part of our prayer emphasis by signing up for one hour. Real, real briefly, there are sign-up sheets out in the foyer right here. And you simply find an open area and you write your name and your, your uh, email address in there so that we can log you in. But if you try to do it digitally right now, if you try to go online to do it, it's all locked. That's so we don't overlap. Once we get these people put in the, the computer system, we'll unlock it again, and then you can do it digitally if you prefer that way. 
The other aspect is if, if you simply cannot come out, if you're homebound, we understand that, but we still want you to participate. Now, I know that um, Mrs. Uh, Eleanor has called in. She says, I want to pray this time, but I'm not going to be there. So we're going to send her out a, a prayer packet. And that prayer packet will keep her on task to, to pray exactly what we're praying here. And so if you're homebound, we want you to participate. And you can do so by calling into the office and, and saying, this is the hour I'm going to be praying. And then we'll make sure you have proper instructions so that we'll all be praying in unity during that time. When you sign up for an hour of prayer, you'll be coming into the church through the door on that side of the building that leads into the main offices. There will be six rooms on the second floor that are designated for specific purposes. And in each of those rooms, you will make your way through them and you'll have specific instructions. So we're not asking you to come in and and just spend an hour spinning wheels. We want you to, to join us in unity as we lift up our Father in heaven, as we seek his guidance, as we deal with the things in our lives. And so we'll have all the instruction we're needed. So we, we try to relieve you of the pressure. It'll take some of you an hour. It'll take some of you longer than an hour. But it's time well spent in the presence of God. So we're going to talk about prayer today as, as becoming a great church. Matthew 21, 13 will be our first verse for the first point of this message. Matthew 21, 13. Now reading this, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 21, 13. I hear pages turning, so I'll just pause there for a minute till you get there and follow along. So verse 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now he was speaking to the religious leaders. They were misappropriating the temple. They were using it to make money. They were using it to exchange money. They were selling the sacrifices to people. In fact, where they were doing it, they were taking up the space that the Gentiles would have been worshiping. And so they had made it a den of robbers in the eyes of Jesus. And he said, this is not, this is not the point. This is not the purpose of my house. So point number one in your outline is that we must pray. We must pray. This is not optional. As a child of God, you must pray. Jesus said his house would be called a house of prayer. And I, I considered that for a moment. You know, out here on the, on the front of the church, we have First Baptist Church of Boaz. So I'm thinking if we would take those letters off and put house of prayer, then we'll be okay. Because God said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So if we just change the title to house of prayer, doesn't that make it right? 
We can go on the website. We'll change that to Facebook and Instagram. We'll change it to house of prayer. And then we can feel good about ourselves because we did what Jesus said. But that's not right, is it? That doesn't accomplish what he intended. As I read that verse, what is the expectation of Jesus for his house to be called a house of prayer? Okay? And what should the people of his house be doing to be called a house of prayer? Pray. See, we know this. We look at this. We understand what Scripture is saying. And Jesus said, my house is to be called a house of prayer, not in name, but by activity. This is what we do. We pray. Over the last seven months, we have been intentional on Wednesday nights. We, we come together and we'll have a brief Bible study that prepares us for Sunday. But then we come together and we share in testimony and in various types of prayer together corporately we lift our hearts and it has become one of the highlights of my week to join together with this group in prayer the lord jesus used the word for prayer that just simply means to speak with god there are a number of different words in greek and hebrew and they mean different things it could be crying out it could be uh, falling down it, it could be supplication it could be thanksgiving but there are many different names for prayer but jesus used specifically to speak with god my house will be a house of prayer that means my house will be extraordinary because the people of my house will be in communication with god the father and that's encouraging to me you'll speak to him about your burdens. And we're pretty good about that. The things that are bothering us for the day, the things that we're having difficulty with, we will seek God and we'll say, God, help me, or I need your help. I need your healing. I need your touch. I need your provision in some form or fashion. We make our requests known. We, we make a habit of this. We, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for the family members and friends who don't know Christ. We pray for those who are ill and we want them to be healed in Jesus' name. But we also yield to him that his will be done. So we pray for others. And we listen to what God says. Over the years, I have underestimated the power of prayer. And I looked at it nonchalantly. It's a thing that I should do. And I would insert it when I felt that it was supposed to be inserted. And it often resulted in general prayers. Ineffective prayers. Let me give you an example. Heavenly Father, forgive me. For all of my sins. Save the lost. Heal all the sick. Protect my family and thank you for my food. Do you see that's a very general statement. But am I communicating with God? Now he knows the motive of my heart. Regardless of what comes out of my mouth. I might be genuinely thankful for my food. And I am. I do pray for people to be healed, but which people am I lifting up to him? 
I do want him to forgive me of my sin, but, but what is the conviction in my heart? What sin must I be dealing with? You see, we don't like to get in specifics about prayer. And often we'll avoid prayer because we're not sure what to say. And, and that's, that might be one of the things that have kept you from, from signing up for the 40 hours of prayer. We're like, an hour? What am I going to do for an hour of prayer? I've seen this before. And let me say, when we did this before, they came back to us and said, there's not enough time. There's not enough time. There's something about being in the presence of God for the purpose of hearing from him and taking action. Maybe one of the reasons we don't pray the way we should is because we, we've misunderstood the purpose of prayer. Misunderstood the purpose of prayer. So I would ask you, is, is prayer to inform God of something going on in your life? Now think about that for a moment. Is prayer to inform the all-knowing God of anything going on in your life? No. What are we going to tell God? He's like, I did not know. I, I guess I need to take action on what you're talking about. I had no clue you were struggling in this. God does not say that. God knows everything already. He knows what your struggle is. He knows what your burden is. So it's not to inform God. And, and I have found myself giving God his options. God, I, I ask for healing. And if you don't do the healing, maybe you could give the doctors wisdom that you would guide their hands to, to somehow surgically, medically to bring healing. And if that doesn't work, I pray that they would just be comfort. And God's looking at me saying, Steve, I've got three options here. Thank you for telling me because I was at a loss. We're not informing God of anything in our prayer. So that cannot be the purpose. Is it to get God to follow our ways that if we were just monotonous enough in our prayer life that he would finally relent and say, if you'll just be quiet, I'll do it? Is that what we're doing? We're trying to change God's mind to join us in our life? Really? Not when we put it like that. Well, I know he wouldn't do that. At its root, prayer is a cry of desperation. It's a declaration of dependence at the feet of Almighty God. It is a point of surrender. God, I can't do this. I can't change this. I don't know what to do. I'm not able to do this. I need you. And if that's all I have, it's sufficient. You and I cannot enter the throne room of heaven or have an audience with God unless we go through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus proclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was considering that. And it's not a popular understanding of prayer, what I'm about to say, because we believe that God hears all prayers. And I believe that to be so, but he does not listen to all prayers. 
Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Most recently, many people were called to pray for Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin as he collapsed on the field. People didn't know what to do. People were praying where they shouldn't have been praying. And I'm thankful that they did, if they did so sincerely. But they were just calling people to pray, to pray. But I'll tell you right now that those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it was an exercise in futility. It was empty because they were accomplishing nothing because they do not have the privilege of standing before God Almighty in the throne room of heaven unless it's through Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus today? More importantly, does he know you because you have surrendered your life to his authority, that you are committing to his way of life, that you're trusting in his completed work for salvation? That's how he knows you. And that's what ushers you into the throne room of heaven. A prayer of surrender that expresses your dependence on Jesus for salvation and a life committed to him. That's a prayer that is welcomed by God and it initiates a relationship forevermore that welcomes you into his presence and he listens to his children. Listen, no matter your previous life choices, there's an open door of invitation to all people. Jesus died for all people. And he welcomes you into his presence. But it's only through a prayer of surrender that you can come. Prayer expresses thanksgiving and adoration. Not because of what we have, but because of who he is. When we recognize his character... He's, he's a very personal God. We've experienced his love. He is a God of love and he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He is the living God and we have much to be thankful for with a relationship with him. Prayer is seeking the heart and mind of a, a personal God so that we can come to an understanding that we might be equipped, that we might be enabled to face the circumstances of the day. Because the truth is we cannot handle it on our own. Some would say that, that we're using God as a crutch. I say, no, not at all. He is my life. If it wasn't for him, I couldn't breathe. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have a heartbeat. If it wasn't for him, I would not be able to succeed in this life by simply walking. He is my everything, and I pray that you know him that way also. Soren Kierkegaard said this, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Now we can see the point of prayer. It's not to convince God. It's not to pull down from God. It's to be changed by God. And my question to you on point number one is simply this, are you being changed in prayer? 
And maybe that's our first step of growing together is that we understand the purpose of prayer and that is to grow in Him, to be more like Him, to adjust our lives to Him. Our second passage is Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So number two in the outline is you must listen as you pray. You must listen as you pray. See, God listens to the prayers of his children, but he also answers. He responds. He gives us direction in our lives. If we pray but do not hear from God, can we say that we're really communicating with him? Or are we simply making our wants and needs known to him? Are we taking the time required to listen Now, prayer is used for many purposes, and we need to understand those purposes and use those purposes. And I think we do that. We have prayers of praise and prayers of thanksgiving. We pray for other people. We pray for ourselves. We pray for God's guidance. And we do those things faithfully. But do we hear from God? As his child, you must hear from him to receive direction. I would caution you, For those who might be of of my age or around there, not to treat God like the magic eight ball. If you recall the toy, the magic eight ball, you'd ask it a question, you'd flip it upside down, and then an answer would pop up. When we're seeking an answer from God, it is not to sit down, to clear our thoughts, to be quiet before Him, and then the next thought that comes into our mind is His response. That is not, that is not how God works. We need to understand that our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are sick and our minds, they they deceive us. Why would we rely on the very things that pull us away from God to draw us closer to Him? So we must listen to Him. But there is a way that we listen that we will not be taken away. We must be still and know that He is God. Psalm 46.10 We must hide his word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Psalm 119.11. We must use his word as a light to our path. Psalm 119.105. So how do we listen? How do we know when it's the word of God and not just our thoughts about what we want to do? This is worth writing down. The only way to clearly hear God speak is to be in God's word. Do you hear that? If you want to be clear in what God's saying, this is the place you go. Be in his word to listen to him. We did a practical exercise Wednesday night when we finished talking about this element 
that we took Scripture and we read it, we listened to what God said through it, and we gave examples of how He might be speaking to us through those verses. This is how we know. And let me just give you some words of confirmation. He will always lead us according to His will. He will never lead us contrary to His character. He will always lead us in the best way. He will never mislead you. He will always lead you closer to Him, to be more like Him, to represent His image, always in prayer. So if we receive an answer from God or what we think is an answer from God that does not line up with Scripture or His character or what He has said, then we need to avoid what we think God said. He will always confirm it in His Word. And so we must rely on that. I would suggest that when you hear God speak to you through His Word, when He reveals His character to you, to record what you hear. What is God speaking to me? What does God require of me based on what he's telling me right now? And that leads us into one of those steps of experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, that you enter into a crisis of belief. I hear from God, I write it down, and I write down what God is requiring of me. Now I have to step back and I have to ask myself these questions. Do I believe God spoke? Do I believe a response is required of me? And do I believe it enough to do what he said to do? And that's the adjustment we make day after day as we put ourselves in the the presence of God. And as you continue recording what God says to you, you'll be able to see a picture of God's work in your life if you obey. Otherwise, you just have a list of instructions that you're ignoring. So I would say obedience to God's word is evidence that you are listening to what he says. Obedience to God's word is evidence that you are listening to him. So the question before we move on to number three, is there evidence in your life that you are listening to God? Number three, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is toward the end of your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. One of the things that we do occasionally on Wednesday nights is we memorize Scripture. We memorized Scripture Wednesday. This is one of those verses. And if you want to do the same this morning, we can do that. I know it's not real exciting for you to say, yay, we get to memorize Scripture, but let's just try this. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. You repeat that to me. Pray without ceasing. Do it again without me. You memorized Scripture today. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. But let's read 16 through 18 this morning. Familiar passage and one that we can draw strength from. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So number three, pray without ceasing. 
As we look at these three verses, the first one says rejoice always. And I just want to touch on this for a moment. Rejoice always. Now, if we just look back at the last couple of years, it's not been easy. I don't believe there's any family has not been touched by, by something tragic. Now, I just want you to think for a moment. Scripture is saying that we are to rejoice always. And when I, when I read that passage, I understand that there is no circumstance in your life or in mine that diminishes God's love for you. There's nothing going on in your life that eliminates what he has already done for you. There's nothing happening in your life that changes his promises to you. And for that, we can stand and we can rejoice because Jesus is the cause of our joy. What he offers you and what he offers me rises above every circumstance. So we can rejoice always. It's not saying be happy because you're suffering. It's saying rejoice in the Lord through your suffering. Because he hasn't changed. He's still your rock. He is still your foundation. He is still your forgiveness. He is still your eternal life. Nothing that we encounter here in this broken world changes the truth. Pray without ceasing is the second verse. Continue communicating with God. Now think about that for a moment. Do you pray to God all the time? Do you close your eyes and pray as you're driving down 431? Some of you do. Do you go to class, students? And, and close your eyes and, and just go into a time of prayer for six hours and listen to your teacher too? You see, when we, when we look at it that way, we're like, no, you can't do that. But can you be in communion with God all the time? Absolutely. Relishing that relationship that you have with him. Pray in all situations. You know, you don't have to stop and and say, you know, I, I, I really enjoy what's going on here, but can we just stop for a second? I, I, I'm supposed to pray. But you can be thankful, and you can express that in your heart, or you can even express it out loud. God, I am, I am thankful for your mercy. Or you could recount the promises that you've, you've studied and that, that you've just been overwhelmed by. You could recount those and just thank him for the promises that you are clinging to today, the hope that you have for eternal life. You can ask him to help you obey because you know your weakness. That's, that's in communion with God. You can listen to him and his urging and obey throughout the day. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know, giving thanks is, that's a prayer. We give thanks before meals. We give thanks for answer prayer, don't we? We give thanks. But are you required to thank God because of your disease? Are, are you thanking God because you, you wrecked your car and totaled it this week? Thank you, God, for taking my car away? Are you thankful that your relationship that, that you cherished was broken up? Are you thankful for that? 
And when we look at that, we said, that's ridiculous. You're not supposed to be thankful for those things. That, that's, that's heartbreaking. It's, it's something we're dealing with. It's very emotional. So what does this mean? And I would say we just divert our attention and we would change things by saying, God, I'm thankful that you walked through the fire with me. As I'm laying in the hospital bed, God, thank you for not leaving me. God, thank you for the opportunity that I've had to share with someone else who's going through the very same thing that I am. And if it took this illness in my life to share your love with them, thank you for that opportunity. You can be thankful that despite what happens in this world, this fallen world, this broken world, that God is victorious. And as his child, you have eternal victory in Jesus Christ. You can be thankful for that no matter what's happening around you. But we have to be intentional. We have to change our perspective to listen to him. See, he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise, but we must do it. As we close, I'd like to just ask, do you want to be part of a great church? And there's a key here. If you want to be part of a great church, you must do your part. If you remember the fellowship, a fellowship is uh, those who all contribute, who all participate, who are all moving in unity to what God is leading us to do. That's recognizing God is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. The head of the church. That means he guides us. We follow him. He gives us our ministry. He gives us our mission. He enables us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we might be obedient to what he has called us to do. He does that. So being part of a great church is to listen to him, to communicate with him, and to do what he says. That's what we must each do. We can't let someone else do that on our behalf. Will you commit to being a follower of Jesus today? An active participant in the life of his church. And and maybe that is, you've not really nailed down where your home church is, but you've been here for a while. And it's time today to say, you know what? It's time to commit myself to the membership here in what God's doing here. And we would welcome you to come today. If you find yourself... Often in prayer, but you feel like you're outside. You don't feel like you're being effective in prayer. And I would just ask that, that you would look at your life. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you surrendered it all to the authority of Jesus Christ, committing yourself to follow him? Have you done that? Because if you have not done that, if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, your, your prayers are ineffective. You're not receiving the help that you're asking for because you don't have a relationship with the one who gives it. Will you surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and experience Him as your Savior? To know Him and to love Him. I would ask that you let go of your burden today. What are you carrying What is weighing you down? Stop this exhausting life of trying to be good enough. Listen, you're not. And I'm not. 
And we will never be good enough. Jesus is. Jesus was. Jesus always will be. And when we're in relationship with him, his goodness is put on us. So this exhausting life of trying to be good enough and crossing our fingers and hoping it all works out in the end, don't do that. Admit that you cannot do this without him. I need you. Oh, I need you, Lord. Believe that his death and his resurrection provides the way for you to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of your sin. And if, if that resonates with you this morning and you sense God's call on your life, we want to celebrate with you. Will you take the step to make that commitment today and let us help you on that journey? What is, what is God requiring of you today? And will you believe him enough to do it? Wow, God calls us. God's already told us what his church was. If you want to go back to May, the end of May, my very first sermon was about the church. God has told us his design. Are you being part of that design right now? This is how we come to greatness. Not because of what we're doing, but because of who he is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are worthy. You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of praise. Lord, you're worthy of our communion. You're worthy of our lives. Forgive us for, for trying to take this on our own and trying to do our best and hoping that it will be good enough. Lord, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life and who became our sacrifice on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. Lord, I pray that those who do not know you right now will be compelled to come to you. That they would seek you out while you can be found. And today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, I pray that your church would be listening to you today. Lord, that we would do our part in what you're calling us to do. Help us to lay down the things that we've picked up. Help us to stop trying to lead where you are the leader. Lord, help us to let go of the past and, and cling to what you're doing today. Help us see with your vision of what you want to accomplish in this area through your church. Lord, we surrender to you now. And I pray that you would be glorified by our response this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Ryan and Mike come up, we... We call this an invitation. Uh, you can call it an altar call. But the altar is open. If God is so leading you to come and just lay it down and walk away from it, whatever that may be in your life, I encourage you to do that. If God is calling you into a relationship, please answer him. It changes everything. Do you have that opportunity today? As you stand, we sing. Altar is open and I am here if you need to speak with me.